gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Potential Paradigms, where we have conversations on emerging paradigms in our now troubled civilization. Today, the topic of our conversation is a psychedelic medicine, or should I say an amphibious medicine known as 5-MeO-DMT. I called it amphibious medicine because it's actually produced in the glands of the Bufo toad, also known as the Sonoran Desert toad or the Colorado River toad. 5-MeO-DMT, like its close relative, DMT, has been known as an entheogen in South America for a long time. And for those of us who do not know, an entheogen is a sacrament or a substance that can induce a spiritual state. So before we begin, let me put in an important disclaimer. The conversation that follows is only for entertainment and educational purposes. This is not medical advice, neither is it a recommendation to use psychedelics. Psychedelics are illegal in most countries, and even possession can carry severe penalties. It also has physical and psychological risks. It can exacerbate emotional problems, and in rare cases, even fatalities have been known to occur. So now, with that important disclaimer, back to the conversation. DMT, as you might know, has been coined as the spirit molecule by Dr. Rick Strassman. 5-MeO-DMT is considered an intense cousin of DMT. It is considered intense because it can quickly catapult one into an intense spiritual state of unity consciousness, non-duality, or what I like to call as God consciousness. Because it is intense, sometimes it is referred to as the Everest of psychedelics. And just like only very few people climb Mount Everest, a certain type of personality is attracted to using 5-MeO-DMT as a sacrament. Recently, a lot of DMT sharings have been in the media, such as by podcaster Joe Rogan, motivational coach Tony Robbins, and former athlete Mike Tyson. I will put some of these sharings in the show notes below if you'd like to check them out. In my own case, I've had meditative experiences, and as psychonaut, someone who explores the inner dimensions, I'm always curious to hear from fellow explorers of what they have learned, particularly when the use of entheogens is combined with the grounded spiritual practice and meditation, then I believe that it can be very rich and can really be a place where the map meets the territory. Even if you were to never use an entheogen, such sharings can bring tremendous insights into our journeys as human beings in this dimension. So today, my guest is my friend, Mihail Jiu, who is an associate therapist, an intense spiritual seeker, and a psychonaut. What follows are two friends having a candid conversation and exploration, and I hope that you will enjoy it. Let me know what you think in the comments below, and if you like this video, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. And if you're hearing this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and elsewhere, please leave us a review. So thank you, and now let's turn to the conversation. Today, I have the pleasure of having a good friend of mine, Mihai Algiu, who is a somatic psychotherapist associate, an adventurer, a psychonaut. In a previous episode, Mihai and I had discussed on the potentials of psychedelics in trauma healing, spiritual development, integration, and various lessons. So today, we're going to dive into the adventures of Mihai with 5-MeO-DMT. Welcome, Mihai. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Kenan. Thank you. Always nice to talk to you. Go deep. So yeah, Mihai, we could... Why don't you take us to the beginning, you know, with your experience with 5-MeO-DMT? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess, first of all, I'd like to make a disclaimer that I'm speaking now as a, a seeker of truth, as a spiritual adventurer and on a spiritual path, not so much. I'm not, I don't want what I'm going to say now to be taken as the words of a therapist. Yeah. So I'm putting the therapist hat aside or in the back a little bit. <clears throat> All right. So in the, in the context of 
having been exposed to this medicine-assisted psychotherapy, I was studying this Hakomi awareness-based somatic psychotherapy, and there, unbeknownst to me, many people were actually sent to study that modality from some underground medicine school using various psychedelic substances. And so there I, I got exposed to being as a client myself. And I, I, I was always, although somehow unpleasant, each, each journey with MDMA or mushroom or other things, although it was not for the faint of heart and was always bring up unresolved or painful things from the past, somehow it was always good. And I, I felt trusted, I trusted, and I was like, all right. So without knowing much about 5-MeO, just a friend of mine that I trusted very much told me very little that she benefited a lot. And she told me some things that didn't quite make sense to me, like dissolution and like energy, like exploding. And she seemed to be very encouraging and highly recommending me. So that stayed with me. Anyway, and on my path, somebody came along my, my, my path and then offered this to me. And I, I trusted the person. I, I felt she's solid and she had experience with it and she had her own inner work which is also another disclaimer. If anybody, I mean, really recommend if you are engaging in such things to to, to uh, any psychedelic journeys intentionally, but especially 5-MEO, to, to work with someone that, that you, you trust and not just blind trust, but, you know, you, you know that they are integrous, they are, they, are, they are stable, they have done a lot of their inner work red flags to look for is that if the person is trying to convince you to do it, that's not good. So what I liked about this person, she was, she doesn't try to convince because she knows this is like the, as this called, I didn't coin this phrase, the, the, the Everest of psychedelic, uh, where you are going to be point to brought to absolute no control it will be the least control we ever had ever in terms of bodily functioning in terms of psychic processes in terms of emotional releases and uh, so this point of no control also comes right away so that's what's a little uh, i mean it's it's can be shocking and jarring and i didn't expect that usually there is there's a time of delay from ingesting or drinking or smoking the medicine there is a little delay of you know, meditating and then feeling some subtle stirrings or something is happening gradually with the five is just from zero to hundred. It's almost like you are dropped into a hundred miles per hour kind of Lamborghini right away. And so anyway, my experience was, so what I can say is that I, I, I went first time like this, kind of open and, and no expectation and no fear, which was actually very good. And then after that, I have done, I have repeated the, the journey with the same person five other times, but each time having tremendous fear going in because I, I knew what happened. <laughs> so, but so I've, Tried it myself a, a few times, five, six times. And actually in each journey, there's the option. There's a window of an hour or an hour and a half where the facilitator 
can offer you to partake multiple times. Yeah. Um, so it was actually multiple times each time. And so this was my experience, my personal experience with it. And at the same time, I was lucky to witness, I was part of small groups or three people, two people where I was just there witnessing what was happening to other people, people that I knew. So that's my, my experience. I'm talking from this. My experience in witnessing maybe like 15, 20 people going through it and also talking to them afterwards. And I can see that there is some commonality. There is some commonality of everybody's experience. At the same time, there is some difference, slight differences. So what happened for me and the commonality that happens for other people is that it seems like there are like two, minimum two, if not three phases of the experience. So for me, yeah, so the idea is that you are, you know, also what I liked about this person is that she had a special uh, room, special room for that, which was like, like you know, with gentle music and incense and all of this mystical, esoteric, contemplative stuff. At the same time, what was shocking is that there were lots of pillows everywhere and the windows were covered and they were soundproof. And... Uh, I asked her about that and she told me, well, you know, many people actually may end up shouting and screaming on top of their lungs a lot. So it just went. Many people, they, their body is doing various things that, that it's good to allow. It's good to allow, but, you know, in order to keep the person safe, rolling or thrashing through the walls or doing things like that, it's, it can happen. So. And there was like a mattress, you know, which was called the launching pad. And also what I appreciate about this thing. And initially I thought, come on, let's, let's cut the fluff. Let's, let's do it. But there was a very serious ritual, very ritual, very invoking spirits and guides and intention and mindfulness before and very serious ritual, which I was a little bit like, come on, come on, let's go. But later I could see that, that you, you need that. Somehow the experience is so much out of the usual mind and the usual everything known that somehow one needs to have some bookmark before and after. Anyway, getting straight into it, as one is I'm sitting down, like sitting up on this launching pad, the person brings a, this a special type of device that, and where this. You know, so this is from the toad, yeah, from the toad. However, this person that I was working with, she she didn't want that toads to be harmed or used or manipulated for these purposes. And then there was an actual chemical compound that was exactly the same as the actual toad. And in her words, that is actually more stable because the toad, I know, maybe like a sick toad or maybe like a bad mood toad, maybe toxins, I don't know. Anyway, so this person looks at me in the eye and says with perfect love and perfect care or something like that, I offer you the lamp of light. Farewell, my brother. I was supposed to take a few deep breaths and then just inhale like like from the, you know, the, the pot bong. You look like a bong, let's say. <laughs> and just to inhale this, inhale this, and then he told me to hold it as long as I can. So I inhale 
hold as long as I can. And then after like two seconds, somehow some my body went down and the first phase came for me. The first phase that, and what I must say is that each time I've done it, the same thing happened, like kind of the same phases happen. The first phase was like, first of all, I'm not aware of the room anymore, nothing of the room of the music of the person of my body. Somehow as if I was thrown like, like, like a pebble into some kind of turbine of torture, of anguish and intense energy. And from the inside, yeah, it was like as if I was ripped apart. And 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 like some something some some something was happening very intense, very visceral, no thoughts. It's like as if let's say I was in some kind of turbine room where I was hanging on on something, and then the turbine was like pushing like really to blast me away and uh, so also this this session was recorded audio and then i i asked uh, the person also what was happening with my body so in in this phase my body was like thrashing around the room and rolling and making like when i listened afterwards i was almost was shocked it was like my my body was shouting like the most terrifying shouting that I've ever done or seen in my life was like, this was happening. I wasn't aware that I was shouting, but I could see that in the inside, there was this, it's thrown in some terrible, energetic, torturous anguish and pain body. I don't know. I'm putting words. It took me a long time to put words. And so, and so this kept happening for some time and it was even getting stronger and stronger. It was relentless. And at the same time, there was this, there's no, no thoughts, no feelings. It was just like this thing, extreme washing machine cycle. And at the same time, it was, it's almost like unbearable. It was unbearable. And I was like, there's nothing I could do. And then also as this continued, there was some sense of like, a sense that, that there's something that is holding on or some, there's something, some, the, the more this ramped up, it became it became clear that there are these two forces of this thing blasting me, and then there was something else, some kind of gut-like resistance. I would say, I would say, there'll be some resistance. I mean, it took me a long time to put words to this. <laughs> some some resistance, almost like you imagine that there's the hand with the dead grip on the railing. And and then all this thing was blasting, and then so the the there's this the blasting and the gripping on the railing, and these two forces were playing like this a lot. And then at some point there was this sense like, man, I mean I didn't have thoughts, but there was this that this will not stop until I I I it's just the anyway these forces were happening, 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 and then. It's almost like the turbine was was trying to vanquish the the gripping, and at the same time I had no choice. Like, oh man, let go, Mihai, say to surrender, surrender. This is no space for this kind of stuff. There was this somehow deeply seated, deeply 
whatever this is, in some teachings, they call it the, the sense of separation, the sense of resistance to life. I remember the Ashanti was talking about this resistance to life can be mental, can be emotional, but other teachers, they talk about this gut level and holding on and, and like grasping. So this continued for some time and then my body was rolling and shouting and then also sometimes kind of vomiting. I, I, well, I wasn't aware of that, but I could see that the, the facilitator was actually later, she told me and I witnessed in other things that the facilitator allows, wants to allow this to happen. However, it wants to keep the person safe. So at some point, it was this thing that that if I could just, there was no thought, but if I could just, this would stop. If we could just stop, the tension was because of this holding on. So so then if I could just, you know, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And then somehow I felt like as if I was a squirrel in a mouth, in the jaw of a lion or something that was doing like, and anyway, at some point there was this sense that I could just not contract, you know, like you, you contract, 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 and then you are suffering, contracting, contracting. So the only thing you need to do is to, to stop. But the contracting was so strong. And I know it wasn't in some part of my body. It was some kind of consciousness contraction, bodily, gut. And there was this sense that, man, like, of course, I didn't have thought, just let, let go. But it felt like as if, if I were to do that, it felt like I'm going to poop my pants. I mean, it really was the same thing, like you're holding on, to not poop your pants, you know, when you are a kid. And and somehow there was the ultimate shame, ultimate thing to 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 stop holding on. And but somehow, although I didn't do it intentionally, what happened is that this uh, accentuated this whirlwind, and then that holding on couldn't resist anymore. And then it was this feeling of like <laughs> as if I have pooped, basically. And and then <laughs> And and then what happened is that somehow when that happened, that which I, I could see that later they have a name for that. It's called total release. And then, you know, it doesn't make sense, this word total release, unless you experience that. So that happened. And then somehow there was, I mean, there was a awareness. Of course, there was awareness of this torture. There was awareness of these things. There was awareness, you know. And then there was awareness of this, that uh, the pooping. And, you know, I really thought that I pooped my pants. And actually, she told me that sometimes people poop their pants. So you may want to bring some spare underwear, you know what I mean? So when that happened, then all that stopped. And then I was aware of my body breathing heavily. like, And I could see there was this awareness, was, was observing this, this thing. Also, I must say that I could see later and I could hear it on the tape that I was doing some special breathing. I didn't, I didn't have any plan, but my body was doing a special breathing, which seemed like some yogic something. I don't know. I'm not into yogic special breathing. And then sooner or later, the body kind of re- became calm. And all of that residual of the thing can get calm. Anyway, the second phase is that as the body calmed down, there was this sense of the most peaceful, calm state I've ever experienced ever in my life where there were no thoughts at all and it was no images, no aliens, no God. 
there was no content. There was no content, no objects. But there was this overwhelming sense of uh, also a simple, very simple, somehow the sense of like, you know, it took me months to put words into it. But afterwards, I will go back to these teachings that we are into, this non-duality, you know, Robert Adams, Ramana Maharishi, Francis Lucille. I could see later that that was what they call the desireless absolute peace, the peace of the background. And so that that was there for some time. And it was shockingly as it was. And uh, yeah, they're not that felt more like an insight. Like I was still not aware of the room and everything, but there was zero the insight that 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 all is well and unfolding as it should, as Robert Azam say. I mean this came to me. All is well and always is well and unfolding as it should everywhere for everybody all the time in spite of the fact that there are bombs and people are raped and it's terrible things are happening it was this feeling that all of that was a, an, illu- an illusory dream suffering this was some insight then i was i was marinating in that space for more and the, there was this like like what and the fact that there was a sense that it's true and it's real and and that is that is the truth somehow that was the truth and that is who i am you know that the i guess what happens is that the the medicine uh, even they say that it goes to the uh, bypasses the blood brain barrier and goes straight to the part of the brain that that were responsible for the sense of me sense of a personal i me mihai and that floods it and then this goes offline so what happens is it's what remains when the sense of me is gone and all of the anguish and the torture and the thoughts and the feelings and the contradictions you know, remains our true nature, which, you know, I experienced that before, you know, it's not the first time I experienced that. And I, let's say I could teach about that and help people come to that. But there was like a whole new level of no static at all. Then I had some, another thought came like, well, he could see that I don't want anything. That was shocking. That was shocking the fact that nothing is missing. Nothing. Nothing is missing and I don't want anything. And then I had a thought like, the thought came and said, well, oh yeah. And then I remember, I, I don't remember that, but apparently I stood up. I went to the lady. I looked at her in the face. I laughed. I started laughing. You know, this is the classic kind of Zen laughter. You know, I, I laughed and I looked at her in the face and I said, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and I was laughing and I, you know she told me later and then I think I went back down wherever I was and still not aware of the room and then this thought came like well do you want you know all my life I was seeking either enlightenment or like like ultimate relationship these are two drives like women and enlightenment you know and then it came this thought like well you, you don't want you don't want enlightenment do you want enlightenment and there was this like <laughs> It's like, doesn't make any sense to want enlightenment. And then also, how about women, relationship, love? And there was this like, absolute bizarreness. And that I haven't experienced it. Okay, so, oh yeah. And then it came another thought like, well, the, like it's almost like the whole paradigm that I was living my life now was like shattered and like so then what, how, what do i do then if i don't want enlightenment and i don't want women and love and relationship there was this like what so the, what do i do what what you know there's a mind i guess and then he was like just live your life bro <laughs> just leave leave do what you want 
you know, it was so simple, simple, you know, our Francis talks about just follow your deepest enthusiasm and all that. Anyway, then this, this phase transition, then I became aware of, you know, my, of, of my face on the ground or something. I became aware of the room. So I'm in the room now. This probably took like the whole thing, maybe 20 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting up. I look at the person and I'm still altered. I, I see like this like priestess divine kind of like, I was like feel full of love. I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. And then I remember that I did it again. I don't know. There was a, you can't really talk, but the idea is that it is a code that, that if you, that you're still in that window, you can go again. And so I went again, the same thing happened. The same thing happened again, all over. But this time I looked on the tape, my shouting, instead of being, uh, the first time was shouting was like a man, like, like shouting for minutes. It's not, not like shouting a little bit. Second time I did it now was like a baby was like like a baby crying and then in my experience it was the same thing the same torture the same thing and there was also this thing like i can't i can't i can't i can't and then again pooping the same thing all over again first phase second phase i come back to her and this third phase happened each time the third phase is more like i'm in the room i'm aware but i'm still similar as if i'm in a deep let's say mushroom journey like in a powerful mushroom journey i remember that each time there was some some healing personal healing personal something is happening in a way that first time i would just i would sit down look at her and i'll say to her is it playing recording yeah okay all right, so I had this download of what happened to, to my mother and what happened with her grandmother and what happened to me, some personal story of, you know, attachment disruption and how somehow, there, anyway, there was a big download of knowing what happened to some people in my family and how it impacted me and what's happening. And that's why I'm, I was blocking love, not trusting love, and I rejected I rejected my mother and therefore I reject love and reject the whole universe, basically. And so, but it was coming like a gospel and it was absolutely true. Each time I'd done the experience, first phase, second phase was the same. The third phase differed. And the third phase each time for me, I, I had what's called like attachment trauma or let's say birth trauma or something like that. I would request i first of all i would want to be covered in blankets and was recreating this womb and then i will ask the facilitator to to hug me and and then so i was looking back i was it was in a total let's say processing trauma and the baby crying and in a although i was in the room and conscious much more conscious of what's happening there was this un, unraveling and releasing and experience and each time was very deeply meaningful. Like even the third phase would count as a very powerful mushroom or MDMA journey. And each time was going for me there. Now, another aspect is that what's interesting is that after about all of this takes about an hour. And then after some point of sitting, uh, you know, this subsides, I'm sitting and there's a sense of like, oh, okay. 
things become normal again. I start to feel very normal. Start to have a little bite to eat. And then I go to my car. I looked an hour and 10 minutes. I was like, oh my God, this seemed like a lifetime and so intense processing all, all of this. And what was interesting is as the least hangover from all the medicines that I uh, tried. Besides, I'll go, I'll drive, and then somehow you almost forget, forget this stuff. Forgetting and however, what happens is that it will come back. It started to come back to me more and more. Then I, I, what I've done is that the idea was to play the tape after a few days with headphones in and kind of of the kind of you see from the other side <laughs> you feel yourself from the other side also there's this element of what's called night school that happens for everybody is that for a period of about a few days to a week to two weeks there is as one is sleeping it activates in the night and there's like a little a little bit of flashes of what happened uh, which are tolerable for me other people they freak out they were tolerable and other people they reported having all kind of adjustments and all of this and addictions falling off and the night school it's almost like what happened there was such a big download like a ziplock giga gigabytes of thing and then it, it couldn't be integrated uh, so it, it kind of unpacks now little by little for a few days other people have the same one, two, three phase. But for most people that I've seen, they have a different thing. They are slipping into the source. Let's say they are slipping into that. What for me was the second phase. Some people slip into it right away. For some reason, I'm a little envious of them and I wish it would be like that. I once went with a dear friend of mine and after all of these things, she was a little worried and concerned and then she took it and I would watch her and she would be like a cat. She would be like, was like anyway so some people slip into that some kind of sense of absolute peace god experience they slip into that and then it's phase one and then there's phase two the ego comes back online and then they, they have like some deep sadness or anger they have various things self-hatred so it's almost like they slip in effortlessly or when they come back they are processing some of the stuff. That's what I witnessed. With most people, it's kind of like that. They sleep in effortlessly and they have some, all of this pain body comes on the way back. That's really profound what you what you shared. So one wonders, I mean, what, what one can really ask. But I guess one of the things that was coming to me is, I don't know if, you, if this resonates with you, but in any kind of meditative experience or psychedelic experience, the deep experiences, the how much of that is kind of remembered or held depends on also on how much energy we can we can hold. Yeah. And some of my own psychedelic experiences, I remember that I feel like I experienced something, but it was not really, and it was profound, but it was not really something that I could bring back. Yeah. Yeah, I understand what you are alluding to. Yeah. In my case, it's just, I kind of forgot. After I left, I was driving. It's like, I knew there was this sense of some deeply meaningful life changing inside that happened and something was deeply meaningful. Yet I forgot, but then it started to come. 
So you come listening to the tape in the night school. They started to come. And then I started to, after weeks and weeks, I started to put words into it, you know, and I, I uh, so somehow what I get is that that happened there. That is the truth. Both phases is the truth. I could see after doing it a few times, because I would do it one time and I'll do it another time and this same thing happens. So I'll have doubts. I would be like, man, why am I doing this? What's the point? What's the lesson here, man? I'm just tortured here and then there. It's like, but then I was like, dude, that's the condensed version of the spiritual path. You're tortured, and you're holding on, and then that's it. What else you want, man? Beautiful, beautiful. Well, hey, thank you so much for sharing from your heart and your spirit. And I look forward to coming back and trying to digest this more. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that. All right, so Mihai, last time. When you were talking, you described very elegantly the three phases of the 5ME or DMT experience. And I think the first one that you described was, it's in my own language, more the resistance phase and then the entering into the non-dual phase of the God consciousness. And then the third one seems more integration at the relative level. So... First of all, maybe I should just check in with you if what I just described seems accurate. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, yeah. And as I said, for most people I have seen, the, the usually it's reversed. If, if the people slip into the aware peace or our true nature, and, and then they have this, which was my phase one of resistance, or actually, there's a term, some teachers use it, I think, Adida, that's right, the self-contraction. I think yeah. all that I explained last time, this is some self-contraction, it's flushed into the open, and it's contracting hard. And yeah, the third phase of some kind of personal healing integration, where all traumas coming up um, and being being processed or released or felt and integrate it yeah so that brings an interesting question for me is when you are entering the relative phase from the let's say god consciousness are you experiencing a contraction before the relative integration begins or the sense of you know mihai appears or is it rather smooth for you because it seems like for some people you were saying that the contraction phase appears as you come out of God consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> for for me, so the, the first two phases, I'm not aware of the room. I'm not aware of my body. And at, at some point, there starts to be awareness of, of being face down in with some saliva on my face or suddenly hearing the music or feeling the blanket. So there is like a fast becoming aware of the room and i don't experience that self-contraction but i'm becoming aware of the room and i guess that the the sense of me hi me <laughs> so it's more like comes in the the setting of being uh, me hi and and then there there's some processing of me wounds or life okay wonderful so yeah so ha the fact that you, you jumped into the this realm 
of non-duality, our true nature, as you say, quite a few times. As you have been through this each time, well, first of all, maybe you should we should take a stab and see what you can say about it. And also, I'll be interested in knowing, has there been any difference as you have entered this multiple times? In the, in the psychedelic space? Yes, in the space of the, the non-dual or the, you know, the true nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, in, as, as induced, let's say, forced with the 5-MEO, yeah? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, yes, I, the first time when it happened, it was the, 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 the strongest and clearest experience of, I don't know, maybe this is maybe Nilvikapa Samadhi or Sahaja Samadhi, I don't know, like a consciousness without objects and consciousness aware of itself. It was definitely, although it, it passed, there was some sense and conviction that that is the truth. Another impact, and it's not just, oh, what, hap- what happened? It was strange. No, there was like, oh, wow. Also, there was an increased sense of having verified the teachings uh, that I was applying and, and having some of that same experience, but in a less strong way. So it verified the teachings more and confirmed the teachings more. Another impact that 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 it was, I guess, easier or can connect into that, connect, tune into that right away. Of of course, without being so dramatic, it's not so dramatic. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it solidified the understanding and is made the access to tune into that easier. Yeah, yeah that 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 makes sense. And what was it, uh, so to speak, when you were in it? Was there? Is it describable for you? Are you able to uh, describe a bit what it was that space was like? Yeah, we can try. You know, that's what all these people do all the time, writing big books about. Although Lao, Lao Tzu said that the Tao that can be explained is not the real Tao. So with all this caveat, reality of the of that space was of absolute relaxation, effortlessness of being, absolute peace, peace like never before, peace in the mind and peace in the body. And I mean, also there's no thoughts and, 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 and the body was temporarily freed from any sense of separation and any struggle and any contraction. And although I wasn't seeing, I wasn't seeing the world, there was no world, there was some knowingness that all is well in the world too. In spite of the wars and atrocious things that are happening, it's almost like the words of Robert Adams would hit me that all is well, all is well. And unfolded as it should, a sense of like shocking simplicity, because you know you have these books that are like very complex explanations of what to do, what not to do, to get there, and they were just utter simplicity, shocking simplicity, which evoked this sense of like laughter, which 
it seems like it's a it's a universal sense of laughter. I guess seeing that all that all that that was torturing me, it doesn't exist. And then Cos- all this cosmic joke. Yeah. Something like that. Or there's a quality of of love, I would say, without object. Contentment, desirelessness. That that was I think that was I didn't quite connect to that in in the teachings before when the, the teacher would say about the desireless state. It was like I guess because I all the time had all these desires all the time, so I didn't have much time to <laughs> to be in the desireless state. <laughs> and uh, as I mentioned last time, the sense of unconditionally fulfilled, unconditionally fulfilled, nothing is missing, nothing is wrong, and not wanting anything to the point that it was bewildering to be without wants and without. Also, I guess on my life, from early on, I, I started to seek and to practice. The seeker and practitioner was very strong. And in that space, there was a little bit of bafflement well what do i do with that <laughs> that was that the 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 there was no need of practice or seeking because i have arrived and i guess the emptiness the emptiness but i would say like i agree with with tony parson although he's usually i don't i don't resonate with that fundamental ultimate highest level of approach of the he would he he you know in Buddhism I think it's shunyata or something emptiness, but he will call it the emptifulness. I was like, yeah, it was empty, but it was full of you know fulfillment, peace, love. And I guess deeply impersonal, deeply impersonal. I guess it was the revelation of what they call there of the background or the tulia. Don't you think? I mean, from what I'm telling you, it seems like that the ultimate state, the background. Yeah, I, um, I mean, my, I haven't seen this very often, I guess, but I understand the empty fullness. I think I had a contact with that state and there was happiness and fullness, no sense of lack. And there was no reason for that, which was the bewildering part. I would like to ask you, you mentioned the word love, and this is something that I've been checking in with myself, this quality of love. And on the path, I'm feeling that, you know, earlier we have these images of love, perhaps for most of us with our mother could be a very close bond of love. And as over time that has been refined, it seems like on the path, there is an empty quality to that love that is emerging where sometimes I can feel intimacy. It could be with a spiritual teacher or a friend. But when I investigate it, it is, has different intensities. And sometimes I can sense a sense of emptiness that there is nothing personal about this love. Yet, if I had to do kind of like a meditation and invoke a sense of love, I still have to use some kind of a memory or bring up, you know, the image of someone or some situation that was very tender and then expand it, you know, marinated that. But 
question I want to present to you, because you mentioned this, you use the word impersonal love. For me, I'm still not able to make a direct jump to that. I still have to use, so to speak, an object to, to have that state. Anyways, that's an exercise that I've been recently doing. Can I get, get to it in an impersonal way? I was wondering if you had some comments or clarity. Yeah, I mean, I understand I can, I can bring up the image of my grandmother. And if I just let the image be there for a bit, there is a sense of love or my partner that, that has phenomena in it too. It's a little yummy and a little, yeah, some yumminess of the texture. I did experience in various states of meditation, this more still with yumminess, strong yumminess. I guess this may be more like a little bit of ecstasy or bliss. And there was not directing towards anything was just a, but I, I don't have that a lot. And it was more like earlier on the spiritual path. I I guess I, I resonated a lot. What helped me a lot and I verified is when David Hawkins was talking about love. He was saying that at some level that is beyond the mind and it's not love as a feeling. It's more like lovingness as an energetic attitudinal, attitudinal stance to life. Also as called as benevolence, having goodwill and benevolence towards all life, including oneself and the cats and the dogs and, and some lovingness, but that not necessarily that that's, that's a feeling that's more like when a consciousness, I guess, gets more purified from various lower energy fields and lower emotions, then consciousness, the presence is naturally in this kind of lovingness setting. And he was saying that as one gets deeper, then this becomes unconditional. So although there's, let's say, some leader in the world that does come really bad stuff, hurting humanity, I can be angry and I want to take him down. But also it's a sense of, I don't hate the guy, you know? It's, yeah, some some lovingness even towards that. Yeah. Well, another way would be kindness, some kindness, kind. So I, I noticed that this happening is not dramatic. I, I appreciate that. It, it's, that's, that's what I can say. I mean, Hawkins was both non-dual and progressive. I mean, it was a direct path. It was progressive. And he was saying that, try to cultivate that. Try to cultivate that. And whenever something you can't, Look into that. See what that is. You will find some lower energy field, some some positionality, some being right, some being a victim, some whatever being better. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for that. Actually, I remember in one of the meditative experiences a while back, there was this recognition that I am love. Yeah. And what bringing bringing that as a little bit of a struggle in more the relative space. So what you just said yeah. is beautiful. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I also had this in, in, when I, in MDMA quite some time ago. And at that time I was a little bit, love to me didn't 
I had resistance towards that. So I very much you know, witnessing and consciousness and Vishnani, the higher reasoning and consciousness, witnessing. It, it didn't connect that uh, what's, what's love about. And in this MDMA journey, I, I had this revelation that, you know, I said, I love you. I love you all mean the same thing. It was like a, on a platter, like a revelation that love and consciousness are one and the same. It's a holographic thing. Depends how you look into it. So there was an insight and a feeling. Then it went away, but somehow it, it stayed. And I guess as I got more free from pain body, I think this happened spontaneously more and more. I'm not so big fan of cultivating virtues now and stuff. Cultivating, be more loving, be more forgiving. I, I'm not so fan of that because I think the ego is the trying to to be loving or to be forgiving. As Francis would say, it's you have a pig and you try to inflate the pig and put some lipstick and it's nice, but it's still a pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way the way I I'm approaching is perhaps more like a tantric approach, in which like when you play music, you know you have different notes and to you practice like clarifying the note and projecting the note and that way it something shifts it's it's a less of a mental activity so anyways yeah another question i had for you was what kind of insights you have had if any entering into this non dual space the space of god consciousness and coming back to the relative level we have we have talked a little bit about this before, but maybe we can take another go. And I would say, okay, so you come back here and it seems like you still value this life because there are tr entire traditions sometimes or interpretations of certain traditions where, you know, this place is not such a good place and the best we can do is to get out of here. And even in the concept of referring to Buddhism, there is the idea of the bodhisattva versus the arahant. And the arahant is the, you know, the one who realizes and doesn't care and leaves. And the bodhisattva is kind of the opposite of that, where he also wants everybody else to transcend. But the problem is, even with the bodhisattva, is that there is this inherent pessimism about the world, that I have to help everybody else to get out because this is not a place worth being at. So do you have any comments or any downloads you had about this paradox of transcendence and imminence yeah i think for a lot of my path i was unconsciously uncomfortable with the world and felt maybe unconsciously not capable or not interested and i guess yeah some kind of disempowered thing but also lack of interest. It seemed like it's not, it's, uh, I was focusing on spiritual realms. So there was a, a hunger and pursuit of transcendence with the idea that if I do all these practices, then I will transcend and I will be in a very yummy, perfect state forever. So I see now that, that I don't, I don't resonate with this anymore. And it seems like, that for me, the more of this verification of being the awareness and more verification of uh, 
um, non-separate of the oneness of the soup of the creation and we are a P in it. And I, I have less interest in transcendence. And actually, I have, I have, I have verified how my, transcend, my transcendence arch was also I was avoiding painful feelings and I was avoiding, yeah, unpleasantness in the body. So I was avoiding my pain body, trying to transcend it or stabilize it. And then it caught up with me. It, it just caught up with me because you can't inflate the pig for too much because then it pops. <laughs> so, so I was forced to be less, to go less into going towards ultimate identity and put this on break for a while and go into the mud, go into the, the, the loneliness, the, the sense of separation, the abandonment, the, fear, the grief, the repression of grief, the shame, the out of integrity, uh, inauthenticity, procrastination, laziness, uh, holding back. So to somehow, uh, I guess it's post-awakening sadhana or some practice to, to, to live fully and to be the, the highest, most free expression of this pee. I mean, the pee in the soup. To, to 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 free Mihai from all of these things so that Mihai can be fully embodied and, and integrated and fully functioning optimally and enthusiastically at the level of job, at the level of friends, at the level of relationship, money, not avoiding and transcending. So I'm I'm in this phase now. And it's not that the transcendental is forgotten. I can see that I was bypassing. And I think that the more these personal aspects are taken care of, then there's more and more, you know, quiet mind and, and, and enthusiasm and, and talent and creativity, spontaneity. So I'm, I'm interested in that now and, and all aspects of my life, relationships, relationships were always back. Difficulties in a relationship and difficulties, patterns of stuff. So I'm waging this war now. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty insightful and poetic the way you described it. I resonate with that because I also strongly feel that I find myself in the same phase. Um, and I, I have a feeling that as a culture, as a civilization, I find that we have this resurgence of the more emphasis on the embodiment mm-hmm. and, you know, putting less weight on the transcendent. It almost feels like we went through the phase of emphasizing the transcendent for a while, maybe for good reason. And now we're trying to integrate it more here. Um, you know, as for what you said with the Arahant and the Bodhisattva, I, I, uh, I think this, this, our preferences are influenced by our subconscious <laughs> and our childhood experiences. I, I'm, I don't have a strong agenda to, to, to save the world at all. Or, yeah. And also, I don't have a strong agenda to, to, to not give a shit either. It, it happens naturally that what I do in the world is helpful. 
and it deals with suffering and things like that. And I, I do it, I was doing it spontaneously because I enjoyed it, not because I had this agenda to help the world. So I don't know, that's my, my take. So it's just, yeah, I'm engaging spontaneously in something that helps the world, but I'm not trying to do it in order to help the world. <laughs> Doing it because it's it's the most fun thing and the, the most best, most fun, best use of Mihai. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. I, I in a way I agree with you. When I was mentioning the Arahant and Bodhisattva, what is interesting is I was highlighting that both of them has have a pessimism about the world. It seems like they're taking opposite yeah. position, but actually their positions are not that opposite because the Arahant is saying this place isn't worth staying here, so I'm out of here. And the Bodhisattva says, I agree with the Arahant, but I got to get everybody out. <laughs> yeah. Inherently, both of them are kind of pessimists. But, but coming back to what, what you just said, and as you were sharing earlier, you mentioned so many qualities of embodiment, you know, or things that you would want to get rid of or clear them away so you could be more fully expressed whether it's laziness, procrastination, and you, you mentioned like a dozen things. I feel the same way. And I, I feel like even the intention to help can be one of not so much of a heavy activism, you know, because anything that we do creatively is usually beautiful and can enhance the well-being of ourselves yeah. and others. And uh, yeah, it's, and it, it seems to require hard work and Sometimes it can be painful in a different way, not in, a, in an existential way. And you don't know what the, what the outcome would be. Some, I, I feel like our life becomes more a creative process. And, and in most creative processes, the outcome is usually unknown. You're trying to give birth to something, but you're not very clear about what will come forth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't, I, whatever I have, let's say, a, a, achieved in the world or this track that I am happy with, I didn't try to, I didn't plan it. I didn't, but there was this, I could see that this, my, my, is what Whitman says, what you are picks its way. So the deepest interest, if it is attended to and if we are earnest, it, it, this creek becomes a river and becomes unstoppable. So it just happened. Yeah, very beautiful. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I love that analogy. Yeah, hey, I want to say this about the the five. I could see that after the first experience, there was some longing to have that again. The there was like you know, like in the, the Shangri La archetypal metaphor, that once we got there, then I'm totally hooked. So I I, I wanted to have that again. I wanted to have that again, the, the non-dual, you know, what I described. And I would go after a few months and and it, it didn't happen. It was like the non-dual didn't happen. It was just torture and healing. And then, and then I would go again and there was like, and then I was disappointed and then I was questioning and and then I was questioning what's happening and I was questioning then, what, what, oh, I, I want to get this special ultimate divine heroin into my nervous system. But then I was okay that it didn't happen. I was like, man, you got it. That's it. So I guess now what it shares to me, it brings up all my pain and self-contraction. So that's good. Let's, let's do it.
Yeah, very nice. Actually, that reminds me of in Kashmir Shaivism, they say that the full mastery, so to speak, of the divine play is to be able to go in both directions, that you can rise to the transcendent Shiva, but that also you can enter back in. And anyways, I don't know if that is a process of the refinement of our spiritual path, because they say that is full freedom, that one can, what can rightly yeah. right both ways, go up and down. I wanted to ask you in this, you were just saying that you returned and it seems like you went back to use the medicine a few times. And I know that you had mentioned this in the past that although it was a torturous experience, the transition into the non-dual God consciousness space, uh, but there was integration that you valued and at a very intuitive level, you knew that this was good for you and for the world to do this work. I was wondering if there was more you had to say. If not, that's okay. But if you had any any insight as to why you would want to return to this particular medicine, so to speak, which is yeah. very intense. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would uh, even in the one session, sometimes there can be several partakings. And I would, I would come back into the room with the awareness that, oh my God, there is so much pain in in there. I don't even know whose it is. It's mine. It's my ancestors. I, it's so much pain and so much. And there was the understanding that it's not finished. It, what what I have processed, it's not finished. And And then, so there was the understanding that I need to go back, although I, I it was the last thing I want to do to feel that again. So I guess I guess the spiritual warrior that is not pursuing what's pleasant, but is pursuing the truth. So I guess I'm grateful for that energy. Yeah, it was not so much to go back to uh, I this is in, in one session. I will do it again in order. There was this it's not finished and I'm so afraid. And I don't want to do it, but I, I have to do it for the good of all. And yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I mean, I know that this is kind of indescribable in many ways. And thank you for taking a crack at that. And I think what you're also expressing is a deep, deep feeling that there is pain there. There is stuff there that needs to be addressed. And as you were saying, yeah. the warrior archetype, it, it takes takes us back even if the mind fights you 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 come back to the battle for another another day so um i wanted to ask you if there was other insights that were like any gifts that you got that, that might not be directly related to let's say the spiritual quest for for freedom but might just be like an insight about the universe or something else does does that resonate with you in some way? Some other insights that I haven't mentioned coming from that those experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I guess that this thing that Cartola calls pain body is 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 not theoretical. <laughs> it's not abstract. Is is a visceral it's yeah. So I verified that. 
and I verified that that is in me. I mean, I knew that, but and and I could verify that that's also it was the the pain that was coming and the torture was a little bit seemingly not personal. I couldn't relate in my life, or it was in me, but I could see the the lineage, the ancestors of of men struggling, uh, feeling separate, and there's no God trying to survive and try to hold on and to be strong. I could understand that that is in everybody. That is in everybody and all my clients, no matter what issue they have, they are sitting on all of that. And so that helped me be actually a better therapist in a way that I felt more comfortable when the client was about to go into some disturbing space where before I would be like, whoa, whoa, uh, I don't know, maybe it's not safe. Let me regulate him back. Maybe it's too much. Now I would see the client going into some space where there was no more repression. It was just pure, intense feeling and some torture. I would be like, yeah, go, go, yes. (laughs) So I was like, whoa, okay. I felt more comfortable with that. It more insight that, 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 I don't know about the universe, but that that I, I can do, I can just, there's no rules that I have to be in a certain way, to live my life in a certain way, to, yeah, I can, I think part of my seeker and practitioner, in order to build this identity, this is built on learning spiritual principles and guidelines and techniques and how it should be and how it shouldn't be. There was more of a sense that, okay, that's helpful as a, this is just freedom. It's there's no way that there's no recipe <laughs> how to be. I guess that all is well. Mm. Oh, or that all is well unfolding as it should. This is about the universe and the, the seeming terrible things that are happening. Somehow I think many people, they are seeing just the world as it is and that seems fucked up. And it seems fu- it is fucked up <laughs> what's happening politically, socially, economically, medically. Financially, like climate, you know, ecologically, it's fucked up. But there was also the understanding that 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 yeah, like that the actual is not the real world, and at some deeper level, it's fine and it's safe. And you asked me to say something about oh, there's no recipe how to be. Yeah, because you you spoke of the freedom. I mean, you you said a lot, and I I think we could we could go into it if you like, but maybe that's for. For another time, I, I resonate with all of that, what you said. Right? Maybe you well, could say a little bit about the simplicity because you used the word freedom, that there is there is no recipe it should be. I, I understand it, I think. Yeah, how to be, you know, I, I some of I don't know. I think many people have this. First of all, recipes from childhood that how I need to be. How I'm going to, I need to be like this. I, I shouldn't show this emotion. I, I should I should work hard. I should, you know some kind of uh, um, mandate, how, how is the right way to be from the parents. Then we free ourselves from that a little bit, although subconsciously may still be there. Then I get some other programs, the spiritual programs, and, and how I should be as a spiritual aspirant. That, that was helpful. But So yeah, that was seen that, that it's, there's no recipe how to be Mihai. From from the mind like this, oh, I should do yeah. this and all that. It was just like uh, anything is possible. There is no right way to go. 
yeah, and because actually the, 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 the simplicity of the the effortless desirelessness and the nothing is missing, it was so overwhelmingly baffling and shocking to the point that I think my mind came, what, what, so now what? Now, what, what do I do? What, what do I do now if I don't want enlightenment anymore and I don't want relationship and love? Then what, 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 what am I doing here? Uh, and it was like, bro, just live your life, man. Do whatever you want. That's yeah. very beautiful. Yeah, maybe we can we can dig into this a little bit. So, one thing that it seems to me also from hearing your experience is that the transcendent aspect, the aspect of God consciousness, infuses the eminence aspect, the aspect of embodiment. So both of them are like a one like a package deal. You cannot separate one from the other. So once you get connected to the source, the higher self, whatever have you, then perhaps what you're saying is that this life becomes an effortless creative process and an, you know, an act of creativity. Does that, yeah. that align with you? Yes. Lands with me. And also catching up with all this abandoned aspects of ourselves maybe some of us have that abandoned the world and abandoned career and abandoned yeah how to to and also growing not, not you know like growing in how to have in love in in more ease in more authenticity in spontaneity in the so mastery i guess some mastery of the the illusory world and playing with it Playing with it in a creative way, yeah. And uh, I feel another aspect of that, and I just want to check with you if, if you resonate with this, is uh, in this creative process, our, at least where I find myself, the, you know, there's an, also an act of commitment. So let's say I want to work on a project or a creative expression. Then that connection with the divine actually provides me with the fuel to keep going because something, at least in my experience, something doesn't happen, you know, just like that in a moment. So it requires a certain level of trust to make certain kinds of decisions that are in alignment with you, all yeah. the while not knowing if the what you're engaged in will succeed in a certain way. But you keep going anyways. So the... the yeah courage and dedication, commitment, and all those qualities seem to be present in connection with this truth. Yeah. You know, a long time ago, I, I was, although I wasn't necessarily mystical or religious inclined, I found this prayer from some saint saying that, and I took it. I was like, wow, that's cool. I like that. It's a long time ago. And said, God, make me an instrument of your peace. Make me an instrument of your love and your knowledge. So I would say this, but I, I, I didn't get it. But I guess that there was some resonance with that. That's a powerful statement. So I think now the work in the world can be that the natural expression in the world is is being an instrument of the source. And whatever talents, you know, one can be a therapist, one is a painter, one is, a, you know, the drummer from Tool. It's God to me. <laughs> so that's good work. Like podcast, you know. Now, I think, I, you know, I don't resonate with this courage, commitment, and uh, 
something else you said, courage, commitment, and dedication. I mean, I, I resonate intellectually, but I don't feel like what I'm doing, what's happening now is because I have courage, commitment, and dedication, or, hey, man, I should be courageous. Or I think this is happening, I think, because of the, the interest, the love of truth, and the love of psychotherapy, the love of processing. I just love it. It's interesting. I'm into it. You know, I think what we need to undo is that some of this procrastination or fear of our destiny, procrastination, laziness, and all that, these are connected to unprocessed childhood stuff and uh, whatever, some programs, fear of failure, fear of being successful, fear of being seen. What if I do this and I prove that I'm not good enough? So this procrastination and holding back is connected to deficiency story identities and then the repression of self, of the personal self. So I would go more like to process that rather than cultivate more dedication. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It, it, I just got reminded of a friend shared with me a quote from the spiritual teacher and therapist, uh, Thomas Hugo. Yeah. And he said that trauma is frozen potential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Just what you just said in a different way. And you know what I what I what I meant with the commitment and dedication is actually two things that came to came to me is one is on the path. Maybe that is where I'm at right now. Is where the understanding is maybe not fully there. You know, I I can't seem to return to the transcendent realms just by closing my eyes. Yet maybe that's why we return to medicine, for for example. I mean, if you could directly, yeah. be no point of having tools and techniques. Um, so then I have to be true to my understanding. And I think to be true to your understanding in face of hardships in life or temptations of, you know, you know, oh yeah, I don't, I don't make enough money. I, I, I really know this is where my heart is. I'm, I'm getting a job that pays higher. So let me negotiate. So I think that's where that commitment and dedication can come. But I'm pretty sure, yeah, not too sure that there can be a level of our maturity where anyways, the warrior goes to war, even when he knows that he's going to, his head is going to get chopped off. Yeah. Because you know, I I, I actually, I think that this focus, dedication, one pointness of mind, valuation for what matters. These are good. I would recommend this somebody at beginning on the path because we, the, the interest in awakening or healing, it's one part of us and we have many other parts of us at the beginning interested in other things. And as long as this is the status quo, we're not going to go very far. So I guess we have to have some ingredient to value this spiritual impulse and revolutionary impulse. And it, this grows and grows and grows until naturally it becomes more important than anything else. And then it's like almost like a permanent tendency to evolve as a momentum. It's unstoppable. But in the earlier stages, I would recommend people to, hey, man, just stay committed to your practice. Do this, do that. At the same time, I think that we don't have a choice around that. Some people have that, some people don't. So I think also it's totally okay, I mean, to, to, to be focused on what we love and then this doesn't make money. And so I'm, I'm getting, I, I had many, a lot of my life jobs that I didn't like. And it was good to get a job that I don't like. 
to, to learn various things while still pursuing what I loved. And so I needed to, to master more this world of bullshit. Yeah. I mean, not, not to hammer this point too much. I, I think in a way I agree with you, but another word that you used was authenticity and authenticity, authenticity could be like a synonym for self-honesty. Right. Mm -hmm. We can, I think that's a very useful tool when we look in the mirror as spiritual seekers to call our own bullshit because at times, you know, even spiritual teachers, spiritual leaders fall from the, the path. There's abuse of power or, you know, you name it, you know, the, the, it, it's full at the same time in the grand scheme of thing, as you were saying in the cosmic play maybe this is you know of course this is all part of it and it's okay but at the same level it seems to me that there are there are these levels of purification and to neglect them is maybe not the best thing at times to say okay you know anything anything goes now i i'm always myself i mean there are there are versions of that but you can even see that in when yeah Someone like a spiritual teacher who is transcended falls out of integrity. Yeah, I totally, you know, in more traditional spirituality, before going to transcendence, there was some ethics, you know. And I myself, I was at fault for this because I would go for deep stuff while having aspects of my life out of integrity. And so then it catches up with me, you know, so the necessity to be in integrity and to be who I says I am, who says I am and to, 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 to be honest and not to lie. And that's some basic stuff, but it can be very advanced. Hey, I want to say something here because you said something recently and it caught my eye. You said, well, I, I'm not there now that I can close my eyes and access transcendental states or identity and um, I don't know maybe it's a phase but I have no desire for that now I, am, I have more desire to be able to feel everything to feel my feelings fully I'm very interested to feel these things like I'm sad I'm lonely be like I'm sad man yeah I want to feel this I want to feel this rather than uh, there's sadness in this in, in me and I'm the source I want to feel, I want to feel everything and it's hard, man. And so I am more on this page with this, you know, Paul Hederman that, Hey, this is dog shit awareness, man. It's not like fancy mystical thing. And the result of you, you traveling lighter in this life, traveling lighter. Maybe yeah, I'll, I'll get you. better. I get better into transcendent states. I'm old or something. I'll go on a mountain or I, I'm open to it, but I, I think this, I'm correcting. I guess I'm correcting, bypassing a lot of. No, feelings. that's that, that, that's beautiful. Yeah, thank you for for bringing it to the context. And what I would say is actually for me, maybe we're just using different language. I feel that the desire to there's a sadness to to seeing the pain, and also knowing some of these deeper truths that we're talking about. Wanting wanting to connect connect with that so I can be more creative. And what is interesting is that the more intense that sadness or longing for me is, which fluctuates throughout the day or throughout the week, that takes me or takes the subconscious, brings like a lot of 
feeling to the surface. So I consider it a good thing. So it's, it's, it's very interesting for me that not transcendence to escape, but wanting to connect with my true nature, the intensity of that seems to modulate the garbage that comes up. It brings it up as like, why don't you eat this first? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, this, I don't, you know, in, in new agey circles and psychology, they talk about self-love. I think there are different levels of self-love. I think just by experiencing what we truly are, that, that brings a higher level of self-love, that, that we are love and that what we are is, is perfect. And there's a lower level of self-love, which can be helpful. I don't know who said it. I, I picked it up from somewhere like self-love is to being kind to yourself in spite of shortcomings and fuck-ups. Being kind towards oneself in spite of shortcomings, how fuck-ups, you know, instead of meditating more on watching movies, smoking weed, eating some chocolate. I, okay, you know, <laughs> to, to not be so harsh on ourselves, you know? Yes. Yeah, no, this is great. I think we covered a lot of ground and a lot of different topics. Maybe another topic that we can quickly touch on, which is cosmic exploration. And let let me quickly draw a quick picture of what I mean, and then I can check with you what your thoughts are on that. I heard this interview by this gentleman, David David Bosch. I, I shared that with you earlier, who's a professor who did 20 years of LSD while having a very strong Vajantric practices while he was a professor of philosophy. And one of the themes he says is that at some point in his journey, it became more than or beyond the journey for enlightenment. He didn't really care about that so much. But what yeah. he was being shown was like an astronaut exploring the cosmos because he said there's yeah. much more than the human desire for transcending or not transcending. Yeah. And uh, from my study of Kashmir Shaivism, one of the things that's kind of similar is what I've seen is that they have this full landscape of awareness or geography of awareness, but at the same time, they also have this mystical map of what they call the 118 worlds. Yeah. They say, well, there are all these universes and worlds, but now that it's a fixed number, they're like, Creation is infinite, and that's what we have been able to catalog, so to speak. Well, not everybody has cataloged, but some of the apostles of Kashmir Shaivism, in this case, Abhinav Gupta, um, who was a master who wrote many, many of the important texts. But anyways, yeah, I, I wonder if in your psychedelic transmissions or downloads with 5ME or others, if you had any encounters with things that had not much to perhaps do with with the with the journey of the seeker. Yeah. You know, not so much. I would like that. That sounds and it sounds very interesting. Actually, I remember I was once working with anyway, teenagers at risk and I was trying to make groups that were fun for them. So I will ask this question. If you had a superpower, anything, what would you like? And I asked them, and then I asked myself, and I, I think my superpower that I would have liked is to, which is along the lines of what you are saying too, I would like to be able to travel, to travel back and forth in space and time anywhere. 
And so to explore, to see the space and time and dimension. So I, I think that that's, that's very interesting and to, to, to know what, what's really going on. What's the, the nature of God? What's, what's happened? I, I, I would like that. I guess in my journeys, it didn't happen so much. I think that because that's not urgent. <laughs> and I, I had, I had shit, man, pain body, my life from my dad, from, from, from things. And, and my spiritual practice that I've done was trying to transcend and bypass. And when I got to psychedelic journeys was put my, my, uh, it will not go transcendence a little bit, but it will help me to, to go back to my, what I put in the shadow in the vaults. But I would imagine that if that gets more clearer, that there's less ballast holding you down. So one will naturally perhaps explore that if it's in one's cards. Yeah, no, this is, it, it seems very insightful what you said or some kind of an intuition because both in like traditional, like Shri Shaivism and also from Chris, Chris Bosch, what he was sharing, it seems like it was at a certain kind of ripeness where a lot of the stuff mm -hmm. had been, had been, so to speak, dealt with where that exploration was, was fun. If you have a lot of trauma and stuff, then as you perhaps say yeah. that, that is more urgent to deal with. So, I did have a friend. I remember she was a little older than me and she was more advanced with this stuff. I, I didn't even know what embodiment meant at that time. And she was very Hakomi practitioner and doing psychedelics. And, and I, I did once a journey together as peers and I was having all of this Oh. and she was like <laughs> she was cool and she said she said this it's interesting that i have less material now i have less material coming up in journeys and uh, i was like well okay good for you <laughs> I, I have a lot so i i could see that i maybe in 10 years we can we can you know talk again have another five years have another episode <laughs> yeah maybe this brings to a question I had, which is, which seemed kind of important and we can close after that is one of the themes that I'm seeing both with the spiritual journey in myself and reading and talking to other, other seekers and friends is that there is a certain kind of ripeness that happens with the, our, the way we question and the way we try to describe our experience, like the integration aspect. And as our trauma clears away and there is more integration, we have, we seem to have more and more paradoxes, uh, you know, which are things that necessarily don't need to be resolved on the journey, but it becomes more poetic that the universe or reality, God can offer you things that you were not ready to assimilate. Perhaps another analogy is vibration. Now you can hold higher vibration. So I, maybe I can check with you because even in my own experience of psychedelics, I noticed that sometimes I was catapulted in another realm or certain kind of mantras or symbols like magical dimensions, but I wasn't really able to bring doubt. Some of it I, I brought, but a lot of that I didn't really understand. And in the shamanic tradition, you see that this is part of their training to be able to hold what they are shown. Uh, I was wondering if that there is some aspect of that experience in your journey. I witnessed that people derive 
more or less benefit from the same journey, from the same medicine, depending on where they're at. And, and where they're at is depending on their level of spiritual maturity, their level of having a practice that is useful. And I think I mentioned before when we talked, one of my early teachers that I never met, so it influenced my life, Gurdjieff. He was, although in the fourth way they were not using, or not using medicines or psychedelics, he was saying that in some schools, you know, the traditions where that will be a shortcut and will crack the some the veil of illusion and then that will be used intentionally. But but if if it's too much gap between the the level of being asleep and the level of the, the heightened in the deep state of the journey, then if it's too much gap, then it's almost going to be like nothing happened. It's like amnesia or some trippy experience, then it's gone. And one doesn't retain much, but the more one has this element of self uh, uh, remembering or self investigation or self abiding, the the more one will retain. So uh, this makes sense to me. Yeah. No, excellent. That's a that's a great. And thing. I could see I'd done some journeys uh, ayahuasca fifteen years ago, and uh, they were pretty random. Looking back, they were very symbolical and meaningful, but. I remember that even I one time I got this, I got this download saying to me, and I was thirty something. And it said to me, I wrote it down. I was like, "There's, no, there are no others," and I was like, "Okay, what, what?" It didn't make sense to me. There are no others, but I knew that some deep, that's deep and true, but it didn't make any sense. But it came. <laughs> I guess uh, now when I do ayahuasca, it's more. I feel like I'm surfing the waves there. I can stay on the plank. I can, I'm getting more than at the beginning. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, hey, Mihai, thank you so much for bringing the 5MU DMT to us down here on the Earthly Realm. Yeah, thanks for all the deep questions. And also, you know, you go on YouTube and you look at, you know, Tony Robbins' experience of 5MU DMT, it's different. Mike Tyson' experience of 5MU DMT is different. So it's a good people to check it out and yeah, be careful totally. who you are doing it with. I remember remind yourself that, I mean, if they are convincing you, if they have a strong agenda, that, that's not good. This is, shouldn't be pushed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you think we might've missed? Nothing comes to mind. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Once again.